it's over, man. So thanks. I'm glad you missed the first part of that. <laughs> no, I was, oh, holy shit. That was coming. I was so waiting for just before that. <laughs> oh, damn it. Boom. But no. Now no sense for that sort of thing. I don't know whether to give context for this or not. I think no. I'll skip it. Let's no go straight in. Welcome to the Dress and Files podcast, where we start at inappropriate times in the middle of sentences. Uh, we're here today to talk about uh, part uh, two of our uh, review of uh, Turncoat. Part two of five. Uh, part two of five. <laughs> yeah, this is just a text part. Then we get into the meta-analysis later. Oh, right. We're getting to the, uh, the uh, Marxist reading of the Dress and Files turncoat. What does that mean for the Lupin role today? Um, more importantly today, more importantly today, talking about uh, news, we know as of tax day, April 15th, that we're up to chapter 58 in uh, the next book. Peace, Peace talks. talks. Hurrah, hurrah. Any other news? Ben, are you bucking for director? That was like the smoothest intro we've had for like ever. You know, considering you know. his last few intros, he's really needed to. I've had a lot of practice of failure, <laughs> like you were talking about. Right. Um, well, and considering the neo level dodge that I just performed. So, anyway. <laughs> sure. The world will never know. All um, right. Anyway. I, I can't think of any other news. So, uh, so I guess there we should none. just get into it, right? Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, so, we had to split this book up in the first place. <laughs> Right. Well, I mean, part of that is just me. I mean, I hated the fact that we didn't split up Deadbeat, and I, I just didn't want to do it again to Turncoat because it's like secretly my favorite. Every time yeah. I try and say it's not my favorite, it is. So every book gets longer, and longer and longer. So God, I hope we don't need to go to a part three, but we might have to. Priscilla uh, right. has has absolutely confirmed that Peace Talks will be the longest book. Yeah, like yeah. we're at the highest oh, chapter count, oh, I think, yeah. at this point. But she she said this comment of there's still so much left that needs to happen. Mm. <laughs> because All everything right. happens in peace talks. Yep. Seventy so chapter book, there it goes. Yep. My I told goodness. you. Told y'all. <laughs> so speaking of turncoat, um, we left off at the Wraith House after Shag Nasty basically went in, redecorated the whole place and a whole bunch of mortal goons and a couple of the sisters. Yes, we are starting at chapter 28. Right. So, you know, because we've totally been giving you a chapter by chapter, blow by blow. So, um, but basically, if I remember right, it, it's a little bit of, you know, the tense standoff afterwards where Laura and, and Harry are quibbling about who's going to eat who. And uh, she realizes that Harry's not protected anymore. And he demands a car and some other nonsense. What yeah. am I missing? He demands a car. He picks up Anastasia at the infirmary and talks to Justine. And Justine right. is doped up and says a few more words than she should. So right. Lucio has too much of a clue. And then as they're getting into the car, uh, Lara is able to see that he's not protected anymore because of their intimacy. Right. Yeah. And so, I mean, the, the fun line there with the whole Justine thing is like, Thomas knows, yeah, that is a huge pain in my ass, you know, so just hilarious stuff like that. But yeah, Lucio and Justine being doped up, but Lucio is still too smart. So she figures shit out. Laura figures shit out. It's good times. And honestly, I mean, we still haven't really seen that come home to roost, which is part of why I'm like, that'll be a fun, a fun thing. 
I wonder, if part, of, I wonder if part of it was just uh, Jim kind of clearing the air to allow for some character stuff there that he hadn't before. He did the same thing. He does the same thing with Thomas in this book, trying to cut away some of the character development to create new space for the character to move. He does the next. That's what changes is all about. All of the tropes of the series get completely torn down to create kind of a new, a new way of telling stories after that after changes. So I wonder if that's just kind of, he's just planting the seed. I don't know that he, I, I don't know if he has any plans for his particular, unless you guys, do you guys think he has any particular plans for that already? Oh yeah. I mean, part, part of it could have been like a hint that, you know, it, it's just a hint that Lucio isn't really in love with Harry or that that connection isn't there because that's something that I think gets brought up later in the book, right? Is mm -hmm. that he, he should have known and blah, blah, blah. But um, you know, like, I definitely, like, I, it was such a huge part of the, the relationship between Laura and Harry that he had leverage on her as much because she couldn't do anything to him on that level. And now that she can, like, he really could be influenced. Like, we knew as readers that Harry, you know, despite everybody being like, oh, Thomas is using you and all this other stuff, and they're in your head and whatever, we knew they couldn't be. And now everybody knows that's not true. Uh, and, and so, I mean, it, maybe nothing comes of it. it. It could just be like he's still protected some other way. But, you know, it, it also becomes important with, uh, uh, yeah, it, it comes up again with, uh, why the hell can't I remember her name? Magical's sister. Madeline. Right? Madeline. Madeline. Yeah. Because she kisses him and he's like, oh, shit. You know, like when he gets his faculties back. But, um mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it's it's at least that important in the book. But I I'm definitely waiting for the day that Laura corners him again, and like she's want she's been after him for a real long time, you know, since Blood Rights. So, well, I think as if peace talks with how the ending of Skin Game was working his relationship with Murphy, he might be protected quickly again. They're gonna bang that quickly. Oh yeah, come on, it's Murphy. Come on. Well, just in time for her to die in peace talks. And, that's uh, fine. If that's, but it's, she's not going to, so I don't know. What? Yeah. Well, you'll know it's doomed with Murphy if we get, like, three. the entire relationship happens in side jobs, right? Because, like, I keep thinking that about Lucio. It's like, poor Lucio. Like, they get together. They go on a date. You know that they've kind of been an item. But, like, if you think about it, all of their relationship and everything happened. In you day know, off. Yeah. Like, it... Well, and I think there's a couple other references because that, or maybe well, at the end of um, Small Favor, they hook up for the first time. They go on a, you know, they go for a bocce or whatever. And right, because he talks about how he restores his soul. Well, and they talk about, yeah, they talk about Demon Reach uh, there and then, but I'm thinking like they talked about like their first date was horseback riding or some nonsense or I don't know, maybe that is day off that I'm thinking, but. It might be because I think they were trying to go away, I think. Gotcha. It's been a while since I read that story. Right. No, day, day off, it was just he had nothing to do, so they were going to go out and do things. They weren't going on a vacation or anything. They were just going out for the day. Gotcha. All right, so the Laura thing I, I totally think is coming back, but, you know, that's just my vote. So. I mean, Harry's got a good general. He's always, from the beginning, he's had at least a very good resistance to the sort of passive white court um, mojo. You know, they come into the room and everyone gets distracted, and he does too, but he kind of snaps out of it pretty quick by comparison. 
It's just the direct touch is obviously a little more, um, you know, personal. But we'll see. Right. So on on their way to the next place, like he and Lucio talk about Margaret a little bit, right? That happens yeah, here because so he figures out about Thomas, and they talk about Margaret and oh, right. what yeah. she was trying to do and why she was so much of a pain in the ass. Right. Yeah, and, because of the fact that the council doesn't really get involved in human politics. Going back to the conversation with listens to wind earlier and all that stuff, you know, getting right. more detail on what their involvement is in world affairs or lack of. Yeah, and why, why they stick to the laws of magic as they are, which at least severely limits someone from being truly evil. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it was just, it's a fun conversation, you know, cause she's mm -hmm. like, Margaret, you witch, you know, and it's like, uh, my mom, you were talking about my mom. Also, you knew my mom. <laughs> yeah. How the hell did you know my mom? It's like, right. well, she was the big bad for a while. I was going to say, that's a little, I, you want to talk about Harry not cluing in on things. I mean, the captain of the wardens, you don't think there's a, at least a passing knowledge of his mother, who at this point he already knows is not exactly a clean cut type of person. Right. Yeah. I, and I'm going to quibble with your whole, she was the big bad because no way that like, she wasn't Kemmler. But no, but she was Harry before Harry. In their, exactly. Yeah. She sure. was the warden. She was a big in the ass. Right. Yeah. She was the budding warlock, maybe, or something like that, yeah. I get. Okay. Well, they talk about right. it in this conversation as she was being watched by the wardens. Yeah, and she broke sure. the first law at least once. She did? Yeah, they, I didn't catch they that. confirmed that either in, in this book or maybe it was Blood Rites, but I thought it might have been in this conversation that she broke the first law at least once and probably others, but she at least like kind of danced on that borderline. Danced around them. Yeah, I remember the dancing part, you know, and that she kept like slipping away into the never never, and that's part of how she got like the Lafay honorific. But mm -hmm. interesting, because I mean, first law is thou shalt not kill, right? So that mm -hmm. means she totally. And I'm like, who did she off then? So, yeah, super interesting. Right. So yeah. that's why I'm like, well, I've got so many extra follow up questions, and I don't remember that at all. So yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so they ended up going to the hospital from there, right? Didn't mm, to there was that scene with Bob and trying to track. Yeah, they go back okay. to Harry's place, and they, he goes into the lab, tries to do tracking spells, and none of them work. Right, because yeah, obviously it's kind of kind of just a setup for how he's going to handle uh, how he's going to handle both binder and shag nasty later in the book even though he's talking about shag nasty they're expecting the magic stuff so he's gonna eventually figure out to try something else entirely and then harry interrupts everything he's like i've got gender issues man great yeah well and bob's great line about you know why do you why do you choose, why do you look at naked women if you don't have a gender it's an aesthetic choice but well, that does genuinely uh, contradict what he said in Deadbeat. He's like, no, I am a he. I am definitely a he. So he has is choosing his gender at least there. Right. Sure. Well, and and I mean, it's pretty established that Bob is probably a pervert because he got picked up by a teenager. So you know, like, that's that's what it is. It's like, guess what? Harry was probably still doing in his in his teen years at least. You know, Bob started out. Yeah, Bob started out with dirty magazines, and then Harry's like. 
not I can't buy you that shit anymore. Here's some romance novels. I don't know. Like so. Yeah, because we already so to rewind just a little bit. So I think the I think the low magic way that he approaches the end game, right, gets set up in a couple of ways because we've already we've already dealt with Vince, right? Mm-hmm. So he already has him in his back pocket and he's already been, you know, low key followed himself. He realizes the magical approach isn't going to work against the Nagloshi because guess what? The Nagloshi is way better at magic than you are. Yeah. And so then then this is one of the, the times where, you know, I feel like you don't really get any of his plan. It just kind of happens behind the scenes and then it all gets revealed later. Right. So that's how, you know, TV tropes, it's going to work. <laughs> but, you know, that's where he starts to put this thing together, that he's going to leverage them against each other and he's going to out them. And then if he gets enough of the senior council and high level wardens involved, maybe they got a shot at, you know, making this happen. But at the very least, expose the guy and then see what happens, you know, because there is, I mean, he's quoting, he's quoting uh, the fucking Wiley Coyote. So he knows there's a really good chance this is going to blow up in his face. Like he has to know that, you know, so. Yeah, which is, and this whole gimmick, of course, appears again in Skin Game with the whole, uh, the long con that Harry pulls the entire book where there's certain things set up, certain things skipped, and you don't really notice till it's, revealed and it pays off without the reader ever really being made explicitly aware here there's a few little hints that he's setting something up because he sends mouse away and you forget about it unless you're an attentive reader i'm not uh and then of course you find out uh how uh what mouse was doing the whole time so see and i i don't remember that but what i do remember is the whole game over and then the entire chapter of this is what i set up you know oh well, sure, that's I, mean, yeah. I skipped back from skin game to the current book in turncoat right. he sends mouse away gotcha uh, yeah yeah right right uh, and you don't find out why or how until, until later. well and it's a good thing you brought that up because i i did not notice that i noticed that he was at the uh the council meeting but i didn't realize yeah because he does talk about it right that you know they had Mouse there to identify he was a witness and then Ancient yeah. by totally vouching for him. Because Mouse got injured, he wouldn't be safe to take into the big battle and he can identify someone. And he's not there at the island uh, because if he were at the island, Ancient Mai would have recognized him then. Mm-hmm. So having Mouse away from that whole thing really allows a bigger space for the other characters to pop in. Toot Toot hadn't been doing basically anything the whole book. Here's a great moment here. Billy and Georgia have their revenge. You know, Binder and Harry have a little heart to heart. And so uh, not having not having Mouse there, he gets a step back and then come back for later part in a very satisfying way where right. Ancient Mai realizes, you have a foodock? How did you get that? You know. Right. Totally skipped ahead, but yeah, I, f- I follow yeah, you. That's that's yeah, good. Yeah. So, um, that is definitely skipping ahead. Uh, the uh, let's see here. So there after, is a nice little scene with in the same chapter with Molly. Uh, yeah, that sets up the the anti romance that he and her have, which is another recurring thing between masters and apprentices. This book. If you guys want to write any thoughts about that, you're you're the one with the anti romance. Take it. Well, you know the the whole thing where he he won't he won't give Molly an inch. And you know she still definitely pines for him to some degree, and that becomes a the master uh, the, the kind of tenuous master apprentice relationship, and that's unrequited, which is of course Morgan's whole issue, Morgan's whole beef later when it's revealed that Anastasia is acting against her character by being happy with somebody. You mean Stacy? 
<laughs> right, right. So I know it's this it it's like poetry and rhymes. If you've ever heard that before. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Is uh, that a Marxist thing that you picked no. up? <laughs> no, it's George Lucas. Um, so let's see here. And the next chapter, then he goes to the hospital with Billy and Georgia. Right. And the the big takeaway for me there is like this this is kind of the the moment where it's like Harry decides to bring them into the fold, right? Except he doesn't because Billy's like, you can't fucking do this to us anymore, uh, yeah. which I thought was kind of interesting because I think we talked about that last episode where it's like, this is the book where Harry really decides to bring them in and keep them up to speed. And it's like, no, Billy straight up demanded it. He's like, we're not going to help you blind anymore. Yeah. You know, you've got to let us know. Technically, Dresden could just choose not to tell them anything, not to get them involved anymore. But he's asking to get them involved. And then when he started on, I'm not going to tell you things for your safety, Billy becomes Will and says no. Right. And and that's that's a good way of putting that, too. You know, definitely, you know, Billy becomes William, you know, <laughs> like, uh, so there's some cute moments there. I mean, unfortunately, you find out for sure Kirby's past in... I think they find out that Andy will make it right. Like she, she's still kind of on the fence, but yeah. you know they're hopeful. So mm -hmm. I think at this point they're saying if she makes it through the night, she'd be more certain. Right. And then she gets a face or fate worse than death later on in life. So they should have just let her die. <laughs> so from here, I don't remember if there's anything else important here, but we go to Binder's interrogation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is fun. Yes, super great, great bad cop, bad cop moment, you know, because yeah. it's like, yeah, because he's, you know, Murphy's in there doing the cop thing and she's been heavy and hard with him and everything like that. And and he's just trying to wait her out because he's he's a professional criminal. Like he knows that she can't do anything and he knows all this and he's all proper and British and whatever. And then he's like, oh, Harry, you're here to good cop me, right? And Harry just beats the shit out of him. And it's fantastic because it's like, no, she's the good cop. You thought you had a bad time before. <laughs> like, you know damn well that the wardens have a reputation for being harder than the police, that they don't answer to mortal law. Like, so you probably should have played ball with her and then you'd be fine by now. Yeah, and the theater that they do with Rollins over the intercom, it's like, there's a camera watching. It's like, yeah, move a little bit to the left and let me get popcorn. Right. Which I, I mean... The, in the real world, I'm like, oh, God, like, how did they get away with that? Or at least I hope they can't get away with that in real life. But, uh, you know, it's just it's such a it's such a great moment. Equipment uh, malfunctions all the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's just breaks around Harry, right? So, that yeah. Too. Yeah. So. Um, so you get that you get the whole him eating the sandwich because they've been starving binder for like six hours. And then, uh, and Binder's kind of heavy. So, you know, if he went six minutes without a candy bar, it's probably a real long time for him. Hey. Sorry, sorry if that was personal. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, this, this is a great dry run for Harry's lo-fi, you know, um, tracking, right? He, he gives Vince his first job and basically he's like, okay, this, this is how I would do it, right? Harry puts himself in Binder's shoes, I would imagine thinks thinks his way through he's gonna shake the tracking you know because part of it is like while they're roughing him up they get uh hair or blood yeah. murphy uh, grabs him by his short hair smashes his face into the table and then lets him go but she has a fistful of hair as well right right 
So they use hair to track him, but then he jumps into a river. He goes to a hotel, shaves, showers, you know, whatever. But by then Vince, you know, was able to pick up the tail, which is what I thought was great about the whole thing is like Harry tracked him, you know, however far magically told Vince like, okay, he's going to be here at this time. And then, you know, like Vince picked it up from there and then just Vince's whole attitude. Like, it's just great to see somebody give Dresden shit for once, you know? So he's like, okay, what's he doing now? And he's like, hold, please click. And Murphy, it's like, I love it when the guy who knows what's going on doesn't tell you anything. <laughs> right. And Rollins' uh, method of saying, uh, it's like, ah, I'm not so young anymore. I like this ability of tracking criminals from afar. Right. <laughs> Um, so they tracked Vince back to a hotel, or not Vince, they tracked Binder back to a hotel, and he met up with Madeline, who had just finished up killing off a loose end. So, yeah, so the guy who she manipulated into planting the money in Morgan's account, you know, uh, basically to, to frame him. So We kind of did skip over a little bit about Vince's uh, past, if you want to go over it. That he was a cop? Well, he was a cop, became a, a private because he was going to be forced to transfer to SI after he found uh, a guy that liked to, it was a city councilman that liked to beat on his women. Right. Yeah. And then he went private and now owns a Mercedes. Right. Right. Yeah. So you've got Ain't no justice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got Rollins and Murphy being like, wait, what? I'm in the line, <laughs> wrong line of work. So. All right. Yeah, back to Madeline. Yeah, so I mean, basically, you know, she killed the guy. And the, the way that I always took the the pretense of her conversation, it's like, oh, it's a shame you weren't here five minutes earlier is that she would have taken care of Binder as well. Um, you know, so they basically kind of talk about the whole thing. And then um, Harry is able to get in and hear this entire conversation because he uses silly string as a uh, thaumaturgical focus so it's just another one of those kind of like what he did with the play-doh and everything uh which i thought was always awesome so except that he's gonna have to clean his ears for like a week after that yeah. he's a professional don't worry about it afraid <laughs> he's and probably he got says, a magic spell to do it that's <laughs> uh, just the line he says uh and then another he hears he listens out of the conversation binder shows off that he's smarter than you'd you'd wish he were with uh yeah just burn him out that's literally what happens and changes. It's great. Oh, right. Yeah. Just the whole like, yeah, how how would you deal with him? And it's like, oh, I just burned his house down. So why would he be at his house? Oh, you don't understand. Money never understands. He's poor. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't have a bunch of mansions he can go hide out in. Like he hasn't had a hundred years of accumulated interest. Right. Yeah. Madeline is obviously powerful as much as she can be as being a white core vampire, but Binder is not that much powerful as a, a wizard goes. So he, everything that he's accomplished is because he's practical. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, Binder, yeah, that's exactly right. Like, I mean, in a way, Binder is, he's kind of like the mid-level thug because he's got a crew. His crew just happens to be magical, right? So he's, you know, he's, you know, your sergeant, your lieutenant type, mostly in the sense because he already has a you know, crew of like 30 dudes he can call up. You know, literally whistle up out of nowhere and you know get things done. So, so he's a little smart. He's a little. What's the? Why oh, can't I think of the word? Clever, but, canny, savvy. I mean, all of those things. I was thinking something else, but yeah, it's. Um, 
it's just kind of interesting. Cunning is, yeah, I think cunning was the word, one of the words. Um, but yeah, it just, and it's just part of why he's a great character, I think, you know, and he's just enough of a weasel to get out of it all at the end. So, of course, we'll see him again. Spoiler alert, you know. Hopefully many times, but we do see just the one so far. Right. Uh, I would, yeah, okay. okay. So from from here, they go back to the apartment. Yeah. I believe. Uh, so, so Binder ends a conversation with Madeline and her saying that she called in the tip to the wardens that right. Justin had Morgan and it was hoarding him in Chicago. And she expects that they'll show up within an hour to like storm his place and get everything. And then in the conversation uh, in the car, Murphy points out, no one's gonna believe her if she identified herself. Right. And if it's anonymous, then the power of bureaucracy is gonna take a few hours to get to that point. And bureaucracy is necessary, but slow. Right. And, you know, and Harry kind of gets, he gets a little bit more hope, makes some more arrangements and then fucking calls the wardens himself, mm -hmm. which is like, Dude, it's one of the best scenes in the book. Like it, all I wrote, like I, I wanted to read it, but I was like, all I wrote here was like, get this verbatim. It's like, go ahead, sir. You know, and just the whole like, uh, would you like me to read that back to you? And he's like, yes, please. And because he's so polite <laughs> after that. And then and, like the whole scene is just everybody in the background, like losing their fucking mind, you know, because it's like, yeah, please let the senior council know that I have been, <laughs> you know, harboring Morgan. He is at my apartment. I am ready to kick all of your asses, and you can meet me here at this time. Uh... <laughs> and the biggest difference is he identified himself. Right. Because an anonymous tip is just another one of the many crazies or weird people. Right. Well, and he's got, I mean, yeah, he's got his call sign, right? So they had their, you know, they had their sign off and everything like that. So they know he's at least a warden with the proper sign off and everything. And then, yeah, there was no reason to doubt him at that point. But yeah, I was like, yes, come and get him, please. You know, so. But after the conversation in the roles, they go back to Harry's apartment and find the third weird tableau. Oh, right. Yes. Ah, uh, Yes. Glorious, glorious. What's wrong with you people? Why don't you use your words? Morgan, I swear to God, you know, just. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but basically this, this time it was uh, Morgan, I think, had his sword at Molly's throat. Um, mm, no, this time he had a gun of which, oh, was it? how the hell did he hide? Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ask too many questions, but yeah, because he shot Mouse. Uh, and then, you know, he was accusing Molly of getting in Lucio's head. Spoiler alert, she totally did. Um, you know, and he, uh, Harry makes Molly uh, help cut the bullet out of Mouse and sew him up and everything like that, uh, which is great because Mouse is totally playing it on. And, you know, Harry afterwards is like, dude, you got hit by a bus and didn't make that much of a whine. Like, what the hell? Yeah. And, I think the line was is that he got run over by a van and then he returned the favor. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, so like, were you trying to try to make that more for her? So she'd learn something. So yeah, just another great moment with mouse mm -hmm. smart ass dog. Yeah. And they have that conversation, Harry and Molly about how do you know when you're doing something wrong and you're trying to justify, it's like, you're always starting question or statements of I wouldn't do this, but right. And she takes the lesson that she ends it with saying, 
I know what I did was wrong, but I swear she's been messed with. Right. Which is great too. Has she even learned? Has she even learned? Ah, probably not. I yeah, I mean, it, it it starts to become, I mean, it's the classic conundrum. Do the ends justify the means, right? Like, in her case, in this case, yes. You know, like, that's that's what she's saying is like, because it was the only way I could find out. So I had to do it, you know, even though it was wrong and broken and, you know, all that. But. And she provides the, uh, the idea for Harry to know what's going on with the ink, right? Uh, she provides that. She says, uh, you don't have to really control somebody you just have to nudge them your direction how you know like what they them. do and, and then she then heartbroken almost she says it's what i would do yeah right Bam! and it also shows how cunning she's getting with all of this when she breaks down all of the reasons to be suspicious of lucio and why she was there well and harry even says it so much in his internal dialogue right that he he hasn't appreciated it up to this point, but he, he now realizes that Molly is going to be one scary, powerful person, you know, like. Uh, In two uh, books. <laughs> well, yeah, but he says it here, right? So, yes. you know, but yeah. Uh, and that's, I, yeah, definitely. Like, obviously she's kind of busy at the moment with other things. She's kind of on tilt, but like, wait till she solidifies her power base as like, you know, winter lady. And yeah, she's going to be a force. So this is this is one of those character moments that ties in basically everything we know about the character up to this point. I'm thinking the stained glass windows. I think the kind of rebel attitude, the kind of uh, the the search for power, the doing things even though you know they're wrong, uh, all the way up to this point, and even the romance, the anti-romance thing that she has with Harry, and it's just another little step that shows I think a, a very coherent uh, meta narrative for her character of her character arc over all of these books, which is, I think is extremely well done. That's something we're lacking in some other characters and arguably Butters, where it's it's just kind of one thing and another upgrade. It's not quite as satisfyingly told or managed as it is here. Butters doesn't have as much uh, tragedy, I'll say. Yeah, that definitely helps. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one yes. thing, oh, <laughs> well, oh no. Andy's Butters didn't have anything to lose yet, right? So. Uh, that's, that's a good point. Well, maybe we'll, everything happens in Beast Talks. Right. Uh, one thing in her in her thing, though, too, about uh, how she would do this, I think it tracks to how the uh, the people in the um, White Council have been manipulated by Peabody because she says, I would make them more political. There's Merlin. I would make them more prone to fight. There's uh, Morgan. Uh, I would make, and there's or 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 I was or more yeah either one of those and there's a third one uh, or make them dwell on mistakes or something to that effect yeah. that tried tried perfectly with Injun Joe exactly yeah so uh, it's got to be explicitly tied in or it fits because it fits so well to some of the motivations we're guessing at especially for Injun Joe on how Peabody's been influencing and how we've seen them throughout this book we've already seen all of these characters. In their native element, we saw the politic, the political Merlin early right. way earlier in the book. We saw the Injun Joe, who's kind of moody and depressive and a little bit cynical, uh, and we've already seen this. So we, this is the, the major hint to how these characters have been influenced. Uh, and even after we were just told about bureaucracy again recently, I think it's. I, I'd be surprised if there weren't some people who figured out the twist. Just by being very attentive readers, because this is very uh, a very good hint for attentive mm -hmm. readers. 
I have sure. to say this book makes me feel better about my job in the bureaucracy sector. <laughs> yeah. like, Lucio says it, Murphy says it. I, I was starting to hear Ebenezer's voice saying invaluable paper pushing twin. It's just made me feel so much better. Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, and the, the skip ahead just a teeny bit with the, the listens to win thing. Like, I think you see that both sides with him specifically, right? You, he realizes how he's been manipulated and that perhaps his tragedy was a little highlighted and overly cautious. And I think that's a big part of how he flips at the end Absolutely. because he goes from somebody's got to pay and it's going to have to be Morgan in this case to, I think we've killed enough people. You know, I think we've done enough harm. And he starts to realize, and he's, if I feel like he flips 180 degrees the other way, like, but in a good way, right? Like he's always been one of the good guys. He's even trying to make this decision because he thinks that it's right. But he, he flips against his own word just because he knows he's been had and he, he is be, being pushed. And he, I feel like he kind of rebels against that even harder. Arguably, you know? it's, arguably it's because uh, I don't think, because he doesn't even know he's manipulated for sure yet. Arguably, it could be just because he's outside of Peabody's direct influence for the first time in probably a while. Could he's be. probably been at, maybe he was healing folks at uh, when they got killed by all those people in broad daylight. But uh, he's he's been involved uh, probably in the council and probably under the direct influence of Peabody for a long time. He gets out, it's a breath of fresh air. He fights right. uh, He fights Shagnas to gets a little bit of his old self back. Right, um, that's possible. And what's what's really interesting to me, and like, well, it's kind of getting muddled in here, but like Harry talks about how Peabody's probably been doing this for years, right? And at least since the war broke out. But I mean, Peabody has been around a real fucking long time. Like he could have set this up a long time ago. Um, and that was always just something that's interesting is like, I feel like Jim wrote it out to be like, oh, he's been doing this since around the war broke out sometime. So they've got to look back on years worth of, you know, decisions. And it's like, no, I mean, in their lifespans and how long Pe Peabody's been around decades, you know, like I, I wouldn't be surprised that he's, he's at least pushed them a little bit unless, you know, his form of magic would be easy to catch if they weren't distracted by the war. You know, like there would have to be some other mitigating circumstance why he wouldn't have done it earlier because it's so subtle. They just never caught it, you know. Based on the conversation at the end with Rashid, it seems like if you're not if you're not looking for it, and even if you are, you may not be able to find it. Right. So if all he was doing for someone who's as old as the senior council is, is just highlighting or priming them for something that they're already uh, leaning towards anyway, it's right. easy to predict what they're going to do and therefore counter it. That's all he might need to do in order to set them up into a position that they get hurt really badly, like he did like the Battle of Sicily and things like that. Well, that is a bureaucracy. He's directly, even by just showing a paper in front of somebody, mm -hmm. you're presenting them with ideas they hadn't considered. And yeah, it's even, even simple, like uh, non-magical priming can happen right. to people. Absolutely. And then all he does is make it stick a little bit harder. Absolutely, and when we see we see another turnaround too. With well, we're on the t subject uh, of Merlin in the next book in Changes. He's yeah. ready to throw down. He is leading the fight. Uh, he's not just throwing up a ward and running away and kind of doing what is minimally necessary. He is charging into battle. He is ready to throw down. Yeah, uh, almost that as that was a, the sharpest personality change we saw in yeah. the time that we've had. It doesn't happen in this book, which is a little bit frustrating. 
Uh, well, we see it. We see it in, at all, and so I think it really shows the depth of Peabody's influence uh, in wizarding politics, which is already fascinating and wonderful, and probably the best part of the world building for me. Uh, right, and that I mean that's a really good point. I had never I had never taken Langtree's flip to be the result of getting free of Peabody's thing. I had taken it to the point where it's like even the Merlin can only be pushed so far. And to finally come to to Edinburgh and you know make these demands and whatever he's like, I'm gonna kick that bitch all the way to the moon. I swear to God, you know, like <laughs> so. Sure. That might certainly help, but after many books of either Harry and Ebenezer talking about why are we so defensive and we're not actually taking the offense when we need to, right. and that would probably like since it was strangling the council, and now that force is gone, he can actually be aggressive. No, yeah, I, I like it. So, so, is there anything that happens before he gets to the island to start setting up? I mean, there's the calls. Does he? He doesn't make the calls at that point, does he? Is well, he, I mean, he does, right? So we talked about him calling the wardens. Sure, he calls. Sure. He calls the um, White Court. He calls uh, Shag Nasty, right? Because you know he starts making demands and being Harry Dresden, and it's like. You know, do you think for an instant I won't kill your brother, blah, 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 and all this other stuff, and he just fucking hangs up on him and hopes really, really, really hard that he didn't just kill Thomas uh, by okay. being a smart ass. So point of clarity, yeah. though, Shag Nasty did not know Thomas is his brother. The, well, whatever, yeah. I, I, it looks like the ritual does happen before the calls. I mean, looking at the book here, I might have gotten that wrong. So there's the, there's the major ritual, the uh, bit of banter on the boat all the way to Demon Reach before it's named. And the evil island, and he goes up. Skyclad has that great, uh, okay, the great summoning fight scene, sort of. Well, but even before that, right? So when when he no 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 no, the the Vaterung thing happens later. Okay, um, mm -hmm. so so yeah, he goes he goes to claim the island island as a sanctum, right? Uh, the sanctum invocation is that what they called it, or am I yeah. missing yeah. other yeah. arcane words? Okay, um, so we, hold on. As they get on the boat. Molly says, do I have to ask for permission or something? He says, why would you? They do that on Star Trek? Right. Just like she always goes to Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, that's a nice detail, which comes right. up again nicely in Ghost Story, of course. Yeah. So wonderful. That's right. my favorite part of Ghost Story. It's a post-geek world, Harry. You can like both. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she asks permission to, permission to come up to the bridge. Um, they they go out there. He, he has a fight. You're super excited about this fight. So take us through it. No, ben. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I love this. Well, it's 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 uh, uh, the sanctum invocation is just a nice and uh, uh, nice little bit of ritual setup stuff. In a lot of the other books, when we have had it, it's been maybe one or two scenes earlier on. Here, we've already had his conversation with Bob, and then entirely separate, he just does the ritual as he ex and he explains it as he does it, the uh, uh, kind of as narratively. And we, I don't know that there is two-thirds of the way into a book before we get such a great bit of magical prep scene in this series. Usually at this point, it's a little bit more action, a little bit more investigation. Uh, but two-thirds of the way through the book, we get this fantastic, almost a, one of the first of three climaxes, I'd say, that the book has to offer. Um, with, of course, the second one being the action climax and the third being the courtroom drama. Uh, right. and, all, uh, and this is this is just setting the tone for some some fantastic stuff. Uh, on the island and the power that Harry has locally here to answer various, you know, be aware of certain presences and, and so on. 
Right. So, so he, I mean, he takes the island. He basically, they go through the four elements, if I recall correctly. You know, they do earth, wind, fire. Uh, All the wild know. demon reaches trying to do the equivalent of a phone going off next to your ear. Yeah. <laughs> right. Nice. And, Good. I got that reference. <laughs> and then uh, Harry, you know, does does claim the place as a sanctum, right? So uh, he starts to realize that he's got all sorts of crazy knowledge that he shouldn't have. You know, it's fairly mundane, but like he knows, you know, where where to walk, where not to walk, kind of like what he did in in small favor. And he goes to talk talk it over to the other, you know, senior wizard who's there. So he talks to Morgan a little bit and like. Morgan's like, well, you know, what about this? What about that? He's like, holy shit, I totally didn't even think of that. So they start to explore this power. Like he he realizes it's constrained to the island. If he wants to know how many beehives and where they are, he can know that information. If he wants to know where the deer are, he knows that information. But if he wants to know who's going to win the next, you know, World Series, he does not have that information, you know, so. Didn't he also like ask a calculus question or something in nothing i know he uses it as an analogy i don't remember if he actually asked it right because he he says that you know um shit i can't even remember the it's because it's not omniscience right it's mm -hmm. uh i forget the the word he uses now the being uh, with intellectus has to be focused on something via consideration in order to know it whereas an omniscient being knows all things at all times so he can only think of what the answer is once he thinks of the question it might be instant, but he has to think of the question first. Right. So with the calculus example, he doesn't know calculus. He just knows the answer. He's got no reason to have the mechanism of calculus. And then the other thing that he talks about with intellectus that I thought was a little bit foreshadowing for changes is that, you know, creatures with intellectus can still be snuck up on because they don't even have the wherewithal to think. Is somebody hiding in that shadow? They just either know it or don't, right? So knowing the right question is as important as anything, you know, for having intellectus. So, but it's still and, a super awesome thing. It sounds super limited, but it's used so well in just this book alone. It's fantastic. right, which is the best kind of tool to give a character. <laughs> exactly, exactly. The let's, let's sort of like uh, if Aquaman wasn't basically just underwater Superman, but all he could do was talk to fish, and that's all he could do. If you manage to uh, if you manage to use that in interesting ways, it's one of the most rewarding ways to tell a story. You know, like talking to Cthulhu. So, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's. Uh, it also sets up some of the uh, things. I don't know that we. I guess we did see some of it. I believe we saw some of it in uh, previous book, but the uh, the 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 buildings there made of stone, the circle. The uh, even the fire that starts, all of this kind of gets used again later on in this very book. Uh, uh, Morgan makes it so this intellectus thing sound like a big deal, despite its limitations. Appropriately, uh, it's really it's really setting up the epic that's coming. Right, yeah. and so after that discussion, they go back to Chicago, and mm -hmm. Harry sends Molly and Morgan on the boat out into the middle of water again so that they're a bit more safe. And then he starts making calls. That's when he makes the phone calls, yeah. Yes. Okay. Starting with Lara. Well, one of the first things he does is he gets Billy in Georgia, right? He starts off the section with a phone call to Lara. Okay, okay. <laughs> and uh, it's weird. She's flirting with him threateningly and tells him the information about Aramis and the money. Right. 
Right. After he makes the phone calls, was there anything else before he goes back out to the island? Because I guess I really want to talk about that part soon. Okay. I will <laughs> He calls Shag Nasty after Lara. Mm -hmm. He gets Billy and Georgia. Toot. He talks to Toot Toot. Yeah. And recruits a whole bunch more Zalord's militia. Right. For right. Uh, pizza. More pizza. And, and gets another instantly. promotion, right? Yeah, it's like if everything goes well, you become a major general. <laughs> but Toot thinks that a promotion is another kind of pizza. He explains his plan to Molly, who is the basics of some of his plan. Right. Only some. Yeah, yeah. Right. And then. She makes choking noises. Jim always says that. <laughs> this should be like a drinking game whenever Jim Butcher writes in, makes a little choking noise. Take a, take a sip. <laughs> That or like it didn't happen, but it was close. He used that twice in the same paragraph once. Is or uh, or he he arched a brow. Makes me arch a brow. Mm. Oh, and then bam, Rashid. Yeah, that's yeah. Right. since the director was like, "Wait, what are you talking about?" <laughs> now I get it. Yes. What's funny though is I trolled myself because in my notes I said the little moment with Vatarog, and I'm like, "What the hell, little moment?" Oh, right. Because. <laughs> Because Rashid shows up out of out of literally thin air yep. and blasts Dresden and everybody, right? When they <laughs> show back up at the island, knocks everybody out. Dresden barely pulls his shit together because he's like, you know what'd be really good right now? Sleep. And then he's like, what the fuck am I thinking? <laughs> like, so he kind of snaps himself out of it. And then they have this little thing, you know, like Rashid's like, you know, don't go for your, your weapons or whatever. And um, he, they, they have their conversation like, you know, I, I can't remember all of it, but like Rashid, like my favorite thing is like Harry's like, you know, shit's going on, right? Because of this, 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 and this, and the other thing. And it's like the Black Council and Rashid's like, yeah, like a young warlock who's getting allies and causing the little folk to like work against their natures and, you know, teaching werewolves how to, how to use magic. And he starts listing off Dresden shit. And it's like, Oh fuck! That's what you guys think Dresden is. <laughs> you know, it's like I I start to see why the wardens don't like him very much. You know, and like up to this point, even Rashid isn't sure, right? You know, because and that's why I like his one on ones with Dresden is because you get a throwback to Summer Night, right, where he gave Dresden the out and said that if you had taken my out, I would have killed you myself. You know, and then you get this one where, like, he thinks that Dresden might be this dark figure that's running around, but then they have a moment, you know, like... But remembering. even before they get to the discussions of whether Dresden is trustable or not, he, he says, I cannot permit you to openly challenge the White Council to battle, and Harry has why. Uh, he says, it's not yet your hour. Right. Yep. Something gigantic hint right there to something forecoming... See, and it's funny you say that because now I'm I'm on your page, right? But before that, I thought he was just like, "It, you, you're not gonna die yet. Like <laughs> today's not your your day to die." But it's not. Yeah, his day yeah to I mean, I, there's there's part of that, but right. there's something like this isn't the battle that you need to be in. So I'm not gonna let it happen because you need to make it to the big one. Shit! Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's this it's this mythical epic talk that's. Uh, it sounds like it's appropriate for uh, the upcoming thing, but it's really pointing to that much larger conflagration, like you said. The, so the Ragnarok that Vateron cares about? Oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, <laughs> well because, you know, this this gets back to uh, this gets back to biblical language, actually the the idea of the faded hour, or it is not yet my hour, it's not yet my time, and so you you have some of this language that's uh, appropriate itself itself uh, in a literary sense for the big epic thing. And I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Rashid knows something Harry doesn't. Again. Oh yeah. Oh he's yeah. Um, and Rashid says uh, basically, I can't tell if you're super devious or actually as dumb as you look. Right. And Harry like, is like, dude, right? Concussion. <laughs> and which Rashid starts laughing like Eldest Gruff, right? Like they have another fantastic laughing fit with two arc mages and. You know, then Rashid's like, and then you stuck in the tree, you know, like just the whole thing from Summer Night, you know. So uh, it's it's a great moment. And then, you know, they when they settle down again, kind of mirroring the Ellis Gruff thing to me is like, you know, I still can't let you go through with it. Like, mm -hmm. you're not going to win. And, he, and then Harry steps on the island. He's like, how about now? And he's like, you took the island? <laughs> like, you fucking crazy son of a bitch. What did you do? You know? And whatever weird thing he does with his false eye that has a disguise because he's Batarang on the gates. Right, right. Yeah, so, because he, yeah, he, he looks into the futures and, and whatnot, looks into the possibilities, and then, you know, at, at the end of it all, Harry's like, so you're going to be there, right? And he's like, oh, no. <laughs> like, I can't come back to the island. The island remembers. <laughs> so... And this this is where everybody gets kind of confused, right? Because Dresden thinks of the the hiss thump, you know, of of mm -hmm. the thing, but Rashid didn't cause that, you know. It's just, yeah, it's I guess it's it's a, a hint at the power, you know, of the island and how you would not want to piss that off. So yeah, and whatever did he do to piss off the island? Right. The word of Jim is he focused the tank, which is my understanding is it's it sounds like Rashid took the bait. Right, uh, that mm -hmm. that Rashid focused on the wrong thing, uh, and so the island was like, "No, you idiot!" And Rashid was running around being an idiot, and that's that caused an issue. You know, is the way that I've interpreted it. So, E.G., I, I know you've been having some difficulty. It looks like. Do you have something to add there? Well, it was either he, Rashid, went um, after the wrong thing or he essentially made the island lose focus like if he was for instance someone who once had the island under his control if he was a warden he could have you know drawn its attention somewhere else to instead of what it's supposed to be doing in its responsibilities you know gotcha either way he did something the island doesn't like he didn't hurt it he didn't physically do anything to it the reason it has a limp is because it uh got a piece of itself carved out by a glacier back in the right. last ice age. It's kind of interesting though, because all of this, you know, basically alludes to what we find out later that the Island has a will of its own, you know? So it's not just like, it's not just a guardian spirit or something like that. It's, it's somewhat sentient. Um, so in this, it gets a little more so as time goes on, as Harry gives them influence and names and all that stuff. Yeah. Sure. That thing, Harry says, the name of Demon Rage and uh, Rashid is like, what are you saying? I was like, well, I couldn't find a name for it, so I made up my own. And Rashid says, well, it's certainly fitting. Right. But it makes me wonder, is it a name he actually thought of before he did the right and just kept it in handy because he has to name things? 
or is it something like he learned it from the island as part of claiming it? Could be. I, I could see it being learned as part of the ritual, even even if Harry doesn't know it. But yeah. I, I also took it as, you know, part of that whole your sight is coming in mysteriousness that like he already had some of the intellectus when he was there in small favor, even though he hadn't claimed it yet. So there are timey-wimey shenanigans. Like I know not everything's time travel, but as we see in cold days, right? Weird shit temporally happens on this island, you know, like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, both the way that the, the problem presents itself, also the way the island was created. So maybe that's where it stems from as much as anything as that the island was created in four or five dimensions. Right, um, and so, so if it gets the name in one point in time, that name and the knowledge of it might reverberate throughout the other points in time. So he learns it without even realizing he learned it. Right. Yeah. Like he may he may have come up with it. I mean, it's paradoxical, right? Did, yeah. It is. Yeah. So he gave it to himself. Mm -hmm. uh, so whatever works. Yeah, I, I love that moment. I mean, do we need to cover anything before we get into the fight? Because we're kind of- I mean, there's the meetup beforehand if you want, but other than that, well, not really. He does say that the, the ley line wells up from the island and says oh, no more than that. Yeah, he's like, you are wrong about one thing. <laughs> you know, the ley line doesn't just pass through here, it originates from here. Mm -hmm. And then not pretty much it. there's just some uh, prep on the island for the big battle, and, and then people start to arrive, yeah. starting with the senior council. Which I mean, we yeah, we can't we can't gloss over that because yeah. great character moments with Ebenezer, you know, like so Bjorn Bear Bjornson uh, shows up with his brute squad and Ebenezer and uh, Ancient Mai and Injun Joe, right? So they're all there, or mm -hmm. yeah. Um, Great, great moment. Ebenezer, of course, talking to them. Ancient Mai coming on hard like she's the law. Uh, she's playing Judge Dredd and everything like that. And Ebenezer's, you know, they, they go back and forth. Harry's being Harry, kind of poking Ancient Mai a little bit. And she's like, I'll fucking arrest you. We'll figure it out. We've got enough wardens to make this all shit happen. And Ebenezer's like, have you thought of asking him? <laughs> you know, like, because Ebenezer's like, if you go after this boy, I can't help you. Like, I'm not going to help him, you know, because then obviously that's a side, but I can't help you either. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a moment of Injun Joe basically deliberating as to whether he's siding with Mai or not. And when he decides to, and then Ebenezer says, like, I'm not helping this foolishness. Right. Go away. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the whole thing where Ancient Mai's like, wait, you would go against the council? And he's like, no, I'm just not going to help the foolishness, you know. I'm so, assisting the council by telling you to stop. Right. Yeah, that's right. Right. Uh, and then they get buzzed by a helicopter, you know, kind of while this is all going on and the wraiths have arrived. So Laura and a, a couple of her sisters. Right. Mm -hmm. So they show up and she's totally in on it because they had this conversation earlier. And so she like throws Dresden like 20 feet or some nonsense. And like one of my favorite lines out of the whole series that I didn't get <laughs> until like the second time, which is like, you know, touch that boy again. The only thing left to you for your kid to bury is going to be your $500 pair of shoes, you know, because Ebenezer's not in on it. And he is like, I will squish you like this. <laughs> and then almost does later. Right. Yeah. right. Which was a good moment. Uh, yeah. So, so she, she 
tears into Dresden verbally and everything like that, and then winks with her off eye, the the one that's away from the council, which is a great little moment. And then her and Ancient Mai sparring because they're not they're not fighting, right? They're just they're using protocol to argue about you know what's going to happen and who's going to get you know Morgan and all this other stuff. So. Um, oh, right. Sorry. And then, you know, this, my second favorite line, Ebenezer, like the only thing left to bury you will be your $500 pair of shoes and ancient my following up with, I, yeah, you know, cause she's like, dude, <laughs> you think you can't just, we're talking here and you just threatened to squish her. That's, that's not going to work. So. Oh, it's like uh, Dresden with Lucio earlier when they go to Lars. Yeah. Right. Same, like, same veins. Mm -hmm. Right. Consider where you are standing and the fresh plaster and the anti-personnel mines. You know, that's, this is why I want this book of all the books to be a movie. Like, obviously, Deadbeat is up there. But like these we haven't even seen the fireworks yet. Literally fireworks. But we haven't even seen the fireworks yet. And I'm like, oh, dude, this needs to be a movie. This is when this one becomes a miniseries because it's too long for a movie. Sure. It needs to start with the court case and then they're filling in details as they go. <laughs> And then, like, oh, that's how you got that bruise, and that's where that bandage came from. Right. <laughs> so, too much fun. Yeah. Uh, so they're while they're um, while Lara and uh, Ancient Mai are having their argument, Dresden starts to realize that you know people have shown up on the other side of the island, and then he realizes that lots of other things are showing up on the island, and so he kind of interjects and he's like. Uh, wait a minute, I fucked up. Like, I know it was gonna go bad, but I fucked up because we didn't just like piss the guy off. He's come to war. And, you know, he, he figures that Binder and somebody have shown up somewhere because he kind of gets the feel for Binder's goons because they're bipedal and whatever. And he already knows somebody who can summon that. And then the other guy is summoning a bunch of critters that the island has never seen before. Uh, and so spiders. Yeah, they turn to turn out to be the spiders from the from the never never. And so he's like, we we need to like do a truce because he's going to kill all of us, <laughs> you know, and get out of here. Um, so basically, um, chaos starts to erupt, you know, like the the wardens start to follow Dresden off into the darkness and everybody's leery of him as much as anything. And then, you know, Dresden starts giving the the Fae, uh, you know, their orders, which they're basically running around with like Roman candles and shit, shooting at people and setting off the booby traps and whatever to, to identify the enemies. Um, so, you know, this is going on um, at some point, Dresden and, and Lara chase down Madeline uh, mm -hmm. and get tagged by an anti-personnel miner. No, it was the concussion grenade, right? Um, yeah. So Binder had concussion grenades. So I think there was uh, um, Ebenezer, Lara, and Dresden were all on the same point and disagreeing about how to go forward. And that's when Ebenezer almost squishes her. Right. And then Lara and Dresden are running off after Madeline. Right. Yeah, because Dresden basically talks him down. And then, you know, like, because uh, he's like, I'm not going to let you go with him and all this other stuff. And he had grabbed her with, like, Bigby's crushing hand for you D&D nerds, you know. And, uh, um, like... Lara was pissed off about it, right? Because she knew that Ebenezer could kill her. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she, she didn't have a way out of it. And for the white court, that's as bad an insult as you can have, pretty much. So yeah. um, so they're they're running through the woods. And at the last moment, he, like, pushes her out of the way. Or, or she, no, she pushed him out of the way of the grenade, right? Um, 
and then he gets thrown clear and then Madeline starts to, you know, have her way with him. I'm literally. not sure if she pushed him out of the way. I think she just happened to be in front of him. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, so uh, so basically he gets thrown clear and now he has a concussion from a concussion grenade on top of his concussion that he's already had. Um, and, uh, and Lara disappears. Uh, Madeline basically literally like straddles him, kisses him on the forehead and, you know, starts to kind of feed on him a little bit and talk about all the crazy things she's going to do to him. Uh, and then, you know, Lara comes out of nowhere and just like, you know, fights Madeline. I, I mean, she, she starts like smashing her. And then at some point, like she, she starts to do the whole white court thing and feed on her and Dresden drags Binder out of there. Uh, you know, I forget what they did to Binder. They shot him or some other nonsense, but uh, basically he had to drag him out of there. And it's like, yeah, well, if we didn't get out of there, they were going to eat both of us and her, you know, mm -hmm. uh, pretty gnarly stuff. Someone needed to be human. Yeah, and right. Binder's like, huh? Yep. Yeah. So, yeah, just him not understanding uh, at first, but also the you know the two right, you know, and then the whole like you're gonna leave here, and if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. Um, so, yeah. uh, did you mention the Will and Georgia attacking Madeline? Right. So, tried. yeah, I do. They tried to, right? Yeah, they were uh, just basically annoying her and making her bleed. Right. So they were harassing her, but then didn't they? They also kind of like got too close to the shenanigans at the end, didn't they? Uh, she uh, kind. I think she managed to attack one of them, and then that's when Lara came out gotcha. and disabled her entirely. And then they slept off yeah. the after effects. Right. Slept as they bit her, and they're they're. You know, they got her blood in them and it made them all. Oh, horny. right, right, right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like how I like how your explanation for for Lara's thing is disabled her when she basically like reached in and started grabbing her ribs like the hard way. <laughs> yes, well, she was disabled by seconds, and then entrails started coming out. Right. Yeah. So one thing one thing we did kind of brush over to is one of the payoffs that it was just set up if the uh, with a demon reach invocation that he's able to run really well through the woods at in the dark you know that the, uh, right. oh, the vampires are just barely able to keep pace because of the because uh, they're fucking vampires <laughs> well because they're vampires but he's able to set the pace because he's got the intellectus uh with the island which is just a wonderful use of that uh necessary secondary thing with jigger right and, and it's a good point. I mean, yeah, it's the intellect is coming up. And I mean, it's again, his kind of point where he's not so much faster as he just knows the exact perfect place to step every time, you know? So it's all economy of motion as much as anything. Which gets mentioned here so that it can be brought up in the Shag Nasty showdown, which is wonderful. Right. <laughs> yeah, so so they get clear uh, of Lara and then I'm trying to remember what happens in the interim, but I know that listens to win catches up to him. But uh, after, well, that's the, for the fight. Yeah. So you know, they he runs, he finds it. You know, oh. uh, he runs after um, the Skinwalker heading up to yeah, the shack because he knew that the Skinwalker had Thomas. That too. Yeah, yeah because the, while they're fighting, Shagnasty had flown in with Thomas, basically, right? Or or he he felt Shagnasty arrive with him, I think. 
Yeah. Uh, because there was something so crazy that it could have only been Shag Nasty, which I find is interesting because we know that the island knows what it is later, you know, so. Yeah. And he remarks on like, this is something that the island actively detests versus just doesn't like being there. Right. Fair which enough. we find out later is because it, even though it's minimum security, it's got, what, six of them in there? Right. Already? Right. Lucky number seven could have been him. Right. Um, yeah, so you're you're excited about the the demon re or the uh, the shag nasty fight. So do you want to take us through that one? Yeah, how about it? Okay, I mean, I, I remember generalities, right? So yeah. I I remember that that Dresden and and shag nasty fought with the various elements. I mean, Ben, did you want to get oh. into the details? Uh, well, I, the the biggest thing was uh, Harry's entirely outclassed but realizes that Shaq Nasty's scared of this place for some reason. So he only has to, you know, keep him away, which is so much easier than actually defeat him. Uh, but that because of his intellectus connection with the island, he's able to know exactly where Shag Nasty is, despite Shag Nasty's best tricks. You know, Yeah, his veil and everything. And, and, and there was just split second where Shag Nasty's actually afraid. <laughs> right. So... Uh, which is just just a wonderful. Uh, that, that, that's the biggest thing that I liked out of the fight. Harry gets so completely outclassed quickly after that. Use of the soul fire. Well, that wasn't hardly pitiful at all. Right. Uh, one, one of the one of the things that really stuck out in the exchange though is when he gets called a spirit caller, but then also Molly gets called a caller. So I think it's mostly, despite uh, some fan speculation to the contrary, I think it's just a alternate term for wizard yeah right right so rather well, than I mean, being it's like when um Ulshavaris or whatever you pronounce Ulshavaris. it called him you know uh bakar or bokar or like you Bokor. know she called him a couple different terms sure, yeah. for, for things it just, just the equivalent term, the mm -hmm. equivalent term. Uh, uh yeah with this with this though because he has the fires of creation and he doesn't even have faith with which to wield them, how did you get those? And, you know, uh, right. it's a nice little bit of world building for kind of the mess, the level of the stuff that he's playing with compared to uh, and what Uriel signifies in this, in this universe. Which, right. Yeah. And it, and for a fight, you know, it's pretty sure. fantastic, you know, getting some of that information out of there. So, so you've got some of that. And then I like, I like how, it wasn't even necessarily Harry's intention, but it kind of works out the fact in a in a same way that it did for Papa Wraith, where basically Harry whittles down, you know, the Nagloshi so that somebody else can finish the job, so to speak. And so, you know, when when he kind of gets it to the point where Harry's pretty much like tapped out, and you know, Shag Nasty's like, "Well, that was hardly pitiful at all." And then, you know, Injun Joe shows up and. And the actual greatest line of the whole fucking possibly the series, you know, it's like, you know, Shag Nasty mouthing off and like, what do you think you're going to do? You're you're not. Uh, what what does he call him? So, but he basically he's not a holy man. He doesn't right. know. This. And he, it, yeah, right, right, right. And he's like, well, I'm not here to. You're not in the blessed you. way, right? Yeah, right. The blessed way. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm not here to bind or banish you. I'm just here to kick your ass up between your ears. 
there's like this little one doesn't even know the DNA and he almost had you, <laughs> you and know. Don't forget Toot screaming oh, yes. Avant villain with his box cutter. <laughs> right. Yeah, too a little sturdy. Well, but then but then also, but then also the, just a little bit of trash talking, shag nasty's hissing, being nasty, and he just you know, Engine uh, Joe just says, Mother says you don't belong here. Right. Your father says you are ugly. And, but intercut with like the most furious, ineffectual attacks from right. Shag Nasty. Oh boy! This Don't plan pretty... to vanish or bind you, old ghost. Just gonna kick your ass up between your ears. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's amazing, and I've made this comparison before, but it, the I feel like this. And I, I'm not really a, a, an expert on uh, Native American lore, but really? that the use of Shag Nasty as this, in uh, Butcher's words, a Native American nightmare, uh, is. So it feels it feels so faithful and authentic in so many of the details, uh, and just the you know the, sh the shuffling motions that uh, uh, Injun Joe is described to be making. The wizard listens to wind, perhaps, uh, and that is completely it's all he needs to handle uh, Shag Nasty. That Shag Nasty's doing what looks almost like a King Arthur, uh, you know, uh, Merlin shape shifting battle. In, right. But it's transposed in this context with shape-shifting, nasty shape-shifting demons. The flavor, the tone of it, it just seems so richly detailed compared to something like, you know, uh, this is the comparison. Uh, uh, oh, uh, they're just misunderstood Annie Maggie in the Harry Potter universe, says J.K. Rowling, who, why does anybody care anymore? Which, it's just a cheapening. Where that's a cheapening, this feels very, a very authentic, even if it's appropriation, a very authentic portrayal. Right. Uh, and I'd like to hear somebody who actually knows this stuff get maybe to do an episode on it to do, get more details about. If how someone who has, I wanted to say, personal experience with something <laughs> like this. Anybody then, who's got uh, a tech by a skinwalker, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, or or uh, an actual yeah, skinwalker, you know, we'd love to have you on the show. So. Well, well, and of course, that's the wonderful danger, and right? you never want you never want to talk about the skinwalkers because right. maybe they're listening in. Right. Yeah. So. Um, but but I mean it's it's what you talk about. So so to get a little bit more detail. I mean what you were talking about, Inja Joe dancing off his his evocations, right? Basically, he's like throwing bolts of energy at Injun Joe, and he's basically just doing his his little Native American dance. Like you've seen other wizards counter it. You see Peabody do it. Even Dresden does a little bit, I believe, when he shrugs off Vaterung's um, um, attack. You know. Um, so he he does these warding gestures with his fingers and whatnot, and you catch some of that uh, as it goes. But with Injun Joe, he's just dancing. He's just doing his little chant and his little you know his little dances. And then once Shag Nasty realizes he's not just going to be able to break him with some kind of magic, that's when he decides. While he's been slinging bolts, he's getting closer because he's so cunning and he's going to get in there and he's gonna he's gonna break him with his physical form at that point because he knows he can't beat him magically and engine joe is smiling you know like as soon as he lunges for him you know he re uh, dresden realizes that engine joe is smiling and and then the shape-shifting battle goes on and you have that great countering of like you know when shag nasty gets the upper hand and then he turns into a turtle for the defensive aspects of it or he attacks him as a snake and engine joe turns into a bear and just you know these back and forth kinds of battles until they get 
you know, it's like Hawk versus Eagle or something like that towards the end. And then Shag Nasty flees and Dresden's like, fucking, you could have taken him. You could have kicked his ass, you know, and um, listens to Wynn saying, you know, yeah, but at what cost, you know, ultimately. Because so. Dresden's first reaction just, wow. <laughs> <Fair. laughs> That's not it just shows just like, oh, yeah, but so the things that are important, you know, those trees down by the thing that have heavy things on them. Right. Take the water out. <laughs> Can you take the water out? How do I do? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just happened. It's, it's already doing it. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Like, Harry has all of this power that he's taken and knows that he doesn't know how to use it, but other people around him who know so much more is just like, think of this thing and then it'll happen. Well, even just say it because they don't even need to tell him how. Just, just well, because you got to appreciate basically everyone we run into. So, I mean, once he does the sanctum invocation, so we find out later Ebenezer knows what the island is because he's writing about it in his journals. The Merlin knows what it is because he's like, well, we got to watch this guy again now. Listens to Wynn knows what it is because Ebenezer's like, well, he knows more than anyone about this kind of connection. The gatekeeper knows. I was a warden before and B, he just fucking knows everything. You know, the only one who doesn't really seem to notice is ancient Mai, who just happens to know that the feng shui is bad on the island. Yeah, and I find it interesting they're not trying to tell her. Well, at that well, point. She's, she's kind of the oblivious one. She kind of stays in her uh, suspicious uh, political mode the entire time, like somebody's bad grandmother, like just a mean old... She probably is someone's bad grandmother. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say she's she's the old she's the old ancient uh, Asian lady. You can't tell her what she doesn't know. She knows everything, whether she knows oh, it or not. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so fight wraps up. Everybody's fine. And then Harry less. remembers about to, to is like, wait, I need to get to the bushes, and he passes out. Yeah, and they wake up later in his little uh, bubble dome of protective right. energy. Attempting. Yeah, and you need to bring this down or we will bring it down because Ancient Mai is super tactful. And he's like, well, <laughs> I don't know how. <laughs> well, not just that, but yeah, like uh, you, I rigged it to blow if anybody doesn't bring it down with the correct sequence. So uh, yeah, and, and then, Ebenezer's, wait, you got that to work? <laughs> so like, Yeah, they're, they're talking shop and everyone else is like, dude, fucking first priorities. Yeah, it's like, whose side are you on, man? So... So they do at this point. Go ahead. I was, was going to say at this point, listen to Wynn has basically come over to uh, their way of thinking. It's like, you know, yeah, Morgan's still got to die, but we're not, we're not screwing over anybody else. So kick, <laughs> kick rocks, Mai. No, and that's, I mean, that's a good point, right? Because ancient Mai starts threatening Dresden and therefore Molly and, and so on. And, you know, uh, Injun Joe is like, look, at the end of the day, the council is going to find that Morgan acted alone. And there's not going to be any more executions. So, and she starts to argue and he's like, that is final. And it's like, when, you know, listens to when puts his foot down, like you fucking listen, apparently, even if you're ancient Mai. So it's nice that he opposes. And even later he opposes her again. She gets mad about it when in supporting uh, uh, Ebenezer's point about uh, Harry being an investigator and, you know, he should have some, some say here. So, uh, so yeah, I wonder if she's just a little bit confused about what's going on. You said once just one person's going to do it, and you're on board with that. Okay, fine. And now you pull the rogue out from me again by saying that uh, he should have say at this at this in this setting. 
what's what, what are you even doing? You know, and this is this is before he even finds out about uh, Peabody being the traitor or how tr Peabody did it. So at some level, Inch and Joe's just a a guy who's kind of refound his center and is legitimately interested in some amount of justice, even beyond just pragmatic politics. I do wonder with your point earlier that like having going against Shag Nasty, especially in what I assume was a very spiritual way for him with all the dancing and the shape-shifting and making sure that he knows what he's doing and why that the uh, effects of Peabody wore off a little bit at this point. Yeah, I wonder, I wonder. Or if it's as simple as getting out, and even it, you know, it it probably involves a whole lot of that. It's so oh, yeah. convincing a lot of levels. I don't even know that Jim was even thinking a lot on that level because yeah, we might be reading into it way too much. Us people have eighty six episodes of a podcast. <laughs> well, Jim himself says he doesn't really write like that, but even so, he doesn't write in themes or stuff like that. Even so, that it works this way and in a convincing way, you can read into it without doing any mental gymnastics. I think that's a sign of just good writing. So this is one of the this is why it's one of the best books because you have so many of these details you can read into without doing a disservice to what's actually in the text. I think I don't know. I, I like this book so much. Right. Do we so I I guess to wrap up the last little bit, so I mean basically the the council takes, you know, all the wizard people. Lara winds up taking Thomas. Um, you know, there, there's a little bit, I mean, we, we glossed over some of it. Shag Nasty was taunting Dresden about how, you know, he did terrible, unspeakable, literally unspeakable things to Thomas. Um, and that, you know, Dresden knocked Thomas into the warded building to get him away from Shag Nasty because the, the wards on the building were kind of keeping it out was part of why it didn't like to be there any more than, you know, Demon Reach liked it to be there. Uh, after that, I, I mostly remember the trial. Is there anything we need to cover oh. before? Once they kick Mai out and they have an actual conversation between Ebenezer and listens to Wynn and Harry, uh, they talk about the spiders and the fact that Harry got jumped by spiders on his way to Edinburgh. So that means that the bad guy has to be someone at Edinburgh. Right. Okay. Which is important. Oh, they do. Dresden does make it back to his apartment uh, yeah. briefly because he um, gets up there's also so. a little bit of a conversation with Ebenezer and Harry about why did you go after the vampire when you could have solved everything by finding the bad guy? And Harry does everything except say he's my brother. Right. Ebenezer says he's a vampire. You can't trust him. Which Thomas is my friend. Peace talks. Right. Thomas is my friend. He's a vampire. He's not your friend. Your food. Right. He's the spawn of your mother and that bastard. I'm just not going to tell you I know that yet. Oh, I don't. He doesn't know, does he? Of course he knows. Oh, I assume Ebenezer. I mean, I, I thought, don't know. I thought his word of that he doesn't know. There's like five. There's like three that say, That's well, there's actually like six. There's three that say he doesn't know. There's three that say he does. He knows too much and he knows everything about him, this, that, and the other thing. Mm. Well, I guess we'll wait. I think I'll wait for the most recent one. When he's working on peace talks and he says he doesn't know, I'll just stick with the most recent. Uh, I am I am of the belief that he knows on an intellectual level. He's simply, quote unquote, in denial on an emotional level mm. and refuses to view Thomas as anything but a monster. And then yeah, they'll have some sort of reconciliation of... and one of them will die. Everything's in peace talks. We'll find out. Right. Because he has confirmed that will be ripped off in Peace Talks. Well, yeah, either way, that's coming up in Peace Talks. One yeah. way All right, so powering through, back to the apartment. <laughs> he gets a package of pictures. He shows Molly 
who, you know, the the portfolio basically like here here's them doing the right stuff walk. So you've got Ebenezer and his brute squad. You've got Ancient Maya and Listens to Wind. And you've got, oh, I don't know who that is, which <laughs> yep. probably should have been a great clue as well. Like, again, you know, if you piece this all together, it's like, who who has Harry interacted with at, you know, Edinburgh that Molly doesn't know, even on some reputational level? But it still has to be someone that we recognize because of course it is. Right. Yeah. So it's Peabody. Spoilers right. again. But right. but basically they they go to Edinburgh and you know, Molly comes with and Dresden just Edinburgh walks house. around like he owns the place. Mouse is there, yes. Anything we need to cover before we do the trial and the fight? Uh, if we want to discuss the conversation with Ebenezer and the what? journals. That's I mean, after. Is it? No, they, they talk about the journals because they see what Ebenezer was writing in his own journal about the island and uh, he trusts Harry, but then again, I trusted Maggie too. Oh yeah, you're right. And then they talk, and then he tells him what about Peabody and uh -huh. Ebenezer looks at his hands because uh, he's still got ink on him. Uh-huh. And then the trial. <laughs> well, well, and Molly gets a snack. It's important because Ebenezer sends a warden to make sure she oh, gets yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> they were arguing about whether or not she could have the food. And yeah, but for me, one of the takeaways in, in the fact that people still, I feel like, sometimes question that these case files are Dresden writing them down. And, and that's part of the whole... It, um, the, the flawed narrator part is that Ebenezer says, you know, maybe someday you'll have a few thoughts of your own that you'll want to write down. So that's mm -hmm. why I think these are Dresden's journals and they're, you know, and part of that. So. From various QAs, I remember watching that Jim basically confirmed that. He's just writing all of this down for whoever comes the next. next. Yeah, the next generation, whoever comes yeah. next, so on and so yeah. forth. Right. Which is why he makes it, just saying. So anyway. Yes, they do. He is live action. There you go. Uh, so Rashid made it. Dresden's totally going to make it. Anyway, um, so they go to the trial. And they lay up all of the bad evidence against Morgan. Right. Everything they possibly can. And then the Merlin says, do you have anything to say in your defense? And he says, no, I'm totally mad. Yeah. I did it. Yeah. <laughs> and Dresden's like, I object. And they're like, who the fuck are you? And it's like, you can't object. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but ancient Maya is like, you do, you have no basis and no grounds. And listens to Wynn says, shut your mouth, you. Anyway. And, and the Merlin politics. Yes. Right. And, and yeah, and the Merlin's sitting back there and he's like, hmm, I'll allow it. And well, he's right. like, your, your history with Morgan's really shady. So understand. Oh, right. We're going to take your what you say with a grain of salt. You know, unless, of course, it's totally in my favor. And then, of course, it's gospel truth, you know. So. And who's Hercule Poirot? I get the reference either. He's, um, um, he's, he's kind of like Sherlock Holmes. And he's uh, the, uh, Ag I think it's Agatha Christie wrote those books. Um, you know, Murder on the Orient Express. He's, he's that uh, kind of detective where he's like, he sees everything. Oh, and then it's like, you and deductions and you and you did that. Okay, I get it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so so Dresden kind of catches them up on the last you know few days and what he's been up to and uh, and then basically you know he's laying out his own evidence and how it couldn't have been Morgan and how all of these other crazy factors came up to be and and then the ancient Mai is like cool story bro but that totally doesn't prove anything and it's like funny true story 
I totally had a, a private investigator and a witness, uh, you know, there. And so I, I did all of this in, in, to surmise that if I set up this meeting on Demon Reach, that the, um, the actual killer wouldn't have any other choice but to respond. And that if he is in Edinburgh, his fastest way is going to be coming through the ways in Chicago. So I had that watched. And here are all the people that came through the ways that day. Oh, look, it's Ebenezer. Oh, look, it's the Brute Squad. Oh, look, it's everybody we know. And fuck you, Peabody. And he's he just starts to laugh. And he's like, really? That's all you've got? You've got my picture? That's your proof? And he's and like, oh. mouse. Yeah, he's like, I also got a witness. And and Peabody starts laughing again. That's like, what? You've got a dog? And HMI is like, hold the fuck up. <laughs> is that a food dog? You have a food dog. How did you get such a thing? And why were you allowed to keep it? <laughs> right. Also, the only ones on the council who aren't surprised when he says Peabody is Ebenezer, we told. And, of course, right. the gatekeeper. Yeah, and and that made me really wonder. If the gatekeeper knew or was able to see, why didn't he do something about it? Well, he probably knew after the fact. Like, after Dresden is essentially exonerates himself. No, it's better than that, right? The only wizard that I see less than you, perhaps other than the gatekeeper... There's that, but he still wouldn't have known Peabody, was he? You know, yes, because he can see the future. But he knew he that can. Molly was a warlock. How would he know that Molly is a warlock? Well, sure, but he didn't do anything this time. He didn't put it. Didn't you know, like like with proven die. guilty, he used the hindsight and he pushed Harry in the right direction. But he didn't do anything this time except for say, you're not allowed to kill yourself right now. Well, because that's it. at that moment, he might not have known it was people i mean he's harry's laying out all the things that happened and rashid's looking at him with the quirked eyebrow like well are you the guy so he doesn't necessarily know what's going on who specifically it is right once harry exonerates himself then he maybe focuses a little more and he's like oh wait okay maybe maybe but but rashid literally can't act because he knew because he has foresight and to do anything with that, like how how was Rashid? The, so the the form of magic is so subtle that they only figure it out after the fact. Mm-hmm. So without being prescient, like Rashid is, how would they have figured it out? So therefore, if Rashid got involved using foresight, he would break the space time continuum, which is his whole shtick. You know, is that basically he can't act on this knowledge because the only way that he knows it's it's how he loopholes in proven guilty. The only way that he knows Molly is because of foresight. And he knows that Molly is necessary in some way that we still don't even fully comprehend, though. We've got a big hint, obviously. So he tells Dresden, bad shit's happening in your neighborhood. Spoiler alert all the time. Go do something about it. Whereas Dresden would have otherwise potentially ignored what was going on with Molly and, and other things would have happened, right? But I, of course Rashid knew Peabody. Like I, the, just like all of the things line up there for me, right? He, Rashid's never around the thing any more than Dresden is, so neither of them could be brain whammied, just like everybody else of importance was, except for maybe Morgan, you know? And And I mean, that's the more important thing. How did Morgan escape it? Or if he didn't, you know... Like, was that why Morgan went after Dresden? You know? Obviously, he got whammied, right? Because he woke up in Laforte's office. But no, he didn't. Yeah, he woke up there. No. Yes, he did. He woke up and saw that uh, Anastasia Lucio, 
entered office, right? Like Morgan okay, told me that he woke up in Lafortier's room. Lucio was holding the murder weapon. Yeah. And he confirmed that with Morgan. It's like when you woke up, she was the one who was killing him. And uh, Morgan continued, like she didn't know what she was doing and that he didn't have time to do anything more than hide her. But it still seemed it's constantly confirming that he was whammy. He was there. And what Rashid says later is like if Morgan and the captain of the wardens had to be put to death for Lafortier's murder, that might have caused the civil war right there. I get all of those parts, but I don't recall Morgan literally just waking up there with Lucio and it just adds more questions. So I'm gonna have to, I guess I'm gonna have to read that part again after. Um, but yeah, so interesting. I'm gonna I'm gonna look into it because like I thought he just either stumbled into it or was woken up by you know whatever was going on. Not like he was there kind of as a zombie as well. Um, yeah, and when Harry says it too, he's uh blah, blah, blah. because you already knew who killed Lafortier. She was standing there when you woke up in his chambers. You saw who did it. You wanted mm -hmm. to protect her. Yeah, interesting. So he definitely got whammied, but something you know you can't go against your nature that much. So Anastasia being in danger, that might have broken off most of it. I see. So it's very interesting uh, what you and EG are saying, but you know what I have to say about that? The end is nigh! <laughs> is it, though? Because <laughs> we went off on a tangent. The end is never nigh. I know, um, but it's how it's how Peabody responds to the evidence and then interrupts Dresden being on a roll. And I like it, too, because every time Dresden gets one up on the senior council and he starts to like stick it to the Merlin or somebody, he's like, Oh, I have so fucked up so hard right now. And then Peabody throws down some Mordite, you know, uh, some weaponized Mordite and runs. Yes. So, Mordite infused Mist Fiend. Mm -hmm. Yes, is the technical and term for it. A large room of several hundred wizards all doing things that are perfectly normal because they're not combat trained and turning on lights <laughs> and dying in the dozens. Well, and to be fair, though, like Harry does it he's learned that lesson the hard way himself, right? Yeah. Because he, he does it in like proven guilty and a few other places where his immediate first reaction is to summon light. And then he's like, wait a minute, this might not be the smartest thing to do. So then he knows they're going to do it because he's done it, you know? So it's one of those things that I picked up in these previous books where it's like, that shit's going to come back later because you do it too. Mm -hmm. uh, so he calls out not to do it. And then you, you get the whole, uh, for some reason, Harry doesn't die. And then the Merlin is talking to everybody at the speed of thought. Which and is another thing of how important bureaucracy is and organization and that counteracting the entropy of chaos of organization right now. Within sure. like a few seconds. You gotcha. Whatever you say, boss. Um, so I, I like that Harry <laughs> figures it out partway just because uh, the Merlin is talking into his bad ear. Like he's talking into his bandaged ear and he's like, how are you? Oh, cause you're the Merlin, of course. Uh, <laughs> and then my head. just, and, and just the whole sequence is like, you know, please nobody turn on the lights, please. Would you do this? Also you two senior wizards, if you would just box him in over here, so I don't get disintegrated, that would be lovely. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and Dresden, if you're not too busy, could you go fucking kill Peabody for me? You know? And then uh, Mary Chase throughout Edinburgh and the end is nigh, the end is nigh. And freezing all the junior wardens because it is not difficult to bend them to their to his will, not nearly as, as difficult anyway. 
and they weren't nearly as important as uh, the rest of the older crew that were actually guarding the important stuff happening. True. Also, they got to play cards. Right. Um, yeah, some some really good lawful evil stuff going on too. Because at one point, you know, Peabody runs up and says, "Help! Dresden's trying to kill me!" And the wardens bear down on Dresden, and then uh, he he sneaks up on the one chick and like cuts her thigh. Yeah. and uh, arterial bleed and everything like that. So Dresden does the good guy thing and stops to put on a tourniquet and somehow Lucio is hobbled up behind him and you know finishes tying it off. Dresden chases Peabody through a tear in space-time into the never-never and uh, barely makes it there. Peabody starts to overpower and almost kills him and Morgan saves the day because Morgan is awesome and he's lawful good and he's totally you know, been the good guy the whole time. So, And he kills him with a gun. Which he also, how did he do that? And how he, did he run so fast? And How did he run so fast? That's a good question. But he took Lucio's gun. I know. I'm just... I'm just yeah. Someone came up with the idea that he used his death curse to make himself move. Oh. Ooh, that's a good idea. Ooh, I like, I like it. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, effective, effectively, either way he did, right? Like, Well, yeah, poured, either way he killed himself. He poured his all into making sure that he didn't get away. And then after this, let him, let him tell, tell everybody that I did it. You know, uh, it's okay for them to pin it on me. Uh, there, are and, also, there are also those adrenaline feats, too. Although the, the Death Curse is most dramatic and most awesome. I like the Death Curse because it also like stops Anastasia from needing to behead him. Right, but I mean, okay, so I like the death curse thing because it's new and compelling and that's the world and we're at it, but not everything needs to be magic. So, right, right. So, the, the adrenaline thing. A fucking badass, and he right. fucking got the job done because that's Morgan. He's too stubborn to die while the job isn't done. Mm -hmm. So, and yeah. then this is when he gets all soft and says, I didn't tell anyone about Molly, and the reason I ran to you is because I knew what you'd be, you'd know what it felt like an innocent man hounded by the wardens. And I'm not crying, you're crying. So <laughs> Yeah. And and this is kind of where Harry kind of figures out the whole the whole thing about Lucio as well, right? Like he yeah. I mean he kind of gets it, but then when he's in the infirmary for at least a week, Rashid comes and talks to him. And that's when they really get into it because Rashid is trying to find what is this core thing that's kind of hiding in Lucio's head. And Rashid needs to figure out that Lucio is the one who actually killed Lafortier and everything's right. getting undone. And then Harry figures out why nobody used magic at the time, because in order to use magic to kill somebody, you really have to truly deep down in your soul believe it. And nobody did because they were mind fucked. So mm -hmm. well yeah, Lafortier yeah. couldn't do it because, you know, I mean, even he wasn't mind fucked, but he couldn't, you know, he was attack two wardens like that and he was caught off guard. Morgan could never use magic against the senior council member, and Lucio was literally under a haze. Yeah. Right, and she she wouldn't do it because she knew it was wrong. That too. Right. Happy ending uh, all around. It's so good, and I mean, so I I know we're way over time, but one of the things that I wanted to talk about too was the the Black Council gambit, right? So, like, obviously. In addition to talking to Rashid, he also talks to Ebenezer. They have their conversation about the Grey Council and how, you know, there's people going around and then Harry starts to list things off kind of like what their conversation with Rashid was. Like somebody's doing these things. Somebody's teaching somebody how to do black magic and werewolves and all this other stuff. And he's like, I think there's a black council. And, and Ebenezer's like, 
huh, kind of a catchy name, <laughs> you know, like, why didn't we think of that? Oh, wait, we totally didn't. We've got a great council. You should join us, you know, and then it turns into like, oh, it's it's we now. Is it Haas? You know, so um, but the whole gambit, right, is to trigger a civil war. Like, that's what it keeps going back to. Yeah. If Lucio and um, Morgan had been caught and put to death like the plan was, civil war. If, you know, Morgan gets away with it, if he had been like, if um, Peabody or or the Black Council, just in general, because there were multiple operatives in this case, right? Madeline uh, had some kind of direct connection somewhere. If, if maybe it was to Peabody, but she was at least directly connected. Um, Binder was a patsy, you know, to Madeline, and and there were other cat spas and whatnot. But um, you know, like if they had managed to sneak up on Harry and kill them on the island and then didn't have Morgan's body, Morgan could have been just this boogeyman out there the entire time is one of the things that Harry like starts to put together. And so basically this whole gambit is another like death knell for the White Council that the war should have probably finished them off, but maybe it's not. Maybe this was always the plan. But at the very least, if there's a civil war at the same time, you're barely holding your own then you're definitely screwed. Also, um, they killed the Fortier in order to get their own person in yeah. place, which was they got the consolation prize at a minimum. Yeah, right. And, and and this is something that we see multiple times when we start dealing with Mab and some of the other higher ups as well. Right, the the other big bads when they do a gambit, they're going to make sure they win something. Yeah. And so the Black Council's like worst case scenario: we lose Peabody, we get somebody else on the council. And we sowed a bunch of distrust and discord and all this other stuff, right? And that's mm-hmm. basically what happens. Like it, it was the worst case for the Black Council, but it's still really bad for the good guys because Christos is on the council now, and there's nothing they can do about it, you know, at least in the short term. Well, they can leave him alone on a stage with a vampire. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, ooh, scary. She's on the same side as Christos. Maybe they don't know, but like you know, and they're not going to endanger anyone else though. That's fair, you know. So, like, let let the two bad guys talk about it while we go into the war room and you know, do war room things. So, then there's a little bit of a conversation with Murphy as he's back in Chicago, kind of just talking about everything that happened, uh, Morgan and a little bit of Lucio, and then trying to clean up the mess that uh, Morgan made of the bed. Lucio right. shows up and they have a conversation. Also, still not crying. Uh, see, this is why Andreas needed to be here, so he could tell us that their love will grow on and blah, blah, whatever. No, yeah, it's just... You're in denial. At this point, it's also creepy and weird, so that, that doesn't help. You know, it's like she she her will was not her own, and she didn't want it. And it, like they discussed in multiple ways that there might have been a teeny tiny part of her body, like her mind or whatever, that was into the idea. And that's the only thing that even led a foundation for all the other nonsense to happen. But because she was in a younger body, she was able to be manipulated to a larger degree than the senior council members would have been, or she would have been if that hadn't happened. Yeah. And so even if without the manipulation, it would have happened anyway, she can't let it go on because she was pushed into it. Because she was pushed into it, but also the reason why she never got attached in the first place, right? Like she never got attached to Morgan or anybody else because of her position and job and and so forth. And that justification never goes away. Right. Yeah. So, but it's also a, a huge, like reading it the first time, you know, it's such a huge, great throwback to Deadbeat. 
you know, because it's like, yeah, okay, cool. You're you're the hot shot, badass captain of the wardens. You get this nice new hot body, um, so you've got kind of a new lease on life, right? We still don't know how that's going to work, but theoretically, she gets another like three hundred years because the by virtue of manipulating magical forces will increase this body its longevity, even though her other one is already you know, somewhat of an advanced age. So you've got that, right? You've got a little bit of the taste that something's a little different here because she doesn't have the same metaphysical mass necessary to create the swords. So we already knew something was going on because she talks about that. I want to say it's in small favor, right? She discusses why he never got a sword. Great little foreshadow that, hey, guess what? Lucio's not just Lucio just because she's the same mind in another body, right? And then here you get something else that it's like, oh, guess what? You know, I set this up five books ago that she's in a younger body. So now she can get mind manipulated like nobody's business. And I, I don't know how much of that was happy, happy habit stance, but it's just such a great tie in to something <clears throat> that happened so many books ago. You know, And the, the line when Harry and Rashid are talking about it's like it's easy to worry about a friend when they start foaming at the mouth. It's hard to get suspicious when they suddenly become happy. Right. And yeah. Yeah, you, what you what you just said, uh, Justin, actually makes me think of something. I hope it's not way too off topic, but the pliability of the young mind. I know we've kind of beaten into the ground, but I wonder if ancient Mai is that way, not just because of the troped character type, but specifically to provide the contrast of being ancient and set in her ways. Because she absolutely is set in her ways, and she absolutely is the oldest wizard by definition. She has the title ancient. So right. I wonder if uh, her kind of her function in that story is to also show the uh, the problems with being too resistant to new ideas. Uh, well, of course, maybe that's reading into it again, but it does it definitely does provide that contrast between a very young wizard like Anastasia to very old ancient Mai. Look, if you're going to keep Connor Anastasia, I'm, you, I'm just going to say Stacy every time. I mean that seriously. Lucio. It's, uh, anyway. Yeah. And I mean, it, it's, I don't know if there's enough to latch on to to carry the conversation one way or another. I, I think it's a good idea. Um, you know, maybe she didn't get manipulated. Maybe it was even easier for her, right? Because she is such a hard case. Like, all you have to do is make sure she just never opens up to any new ideas ever you know, or something like right. that. But I mean, cause it's like, yes, okay. She's ancient. She's stubborn, blah. It's a trope, but you, she's hundreds of years old and she's a mage. She can't be so rigid to never learn new things. Like you may not, I mean, not learning new things, but accepting new structures of power. Right. And all Peabody needs is for her to be predictable. Fair. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. That's fair. She resists one thing, but is completely manipulated. Can be manipulated. She was the of all the wizards there. She was the least ally of Harry yeah. <laughs> on Demon Reach. Right. Uh, but yeah, this is sorry. This is this was a bit of a, of a, a throwback. We are at the uh, pretty much. Is there anything Thomas. after that, or, or is it just going to the? Is the last same conversation with Thomas? Thomas. Okay. Right. Which he's now trying to handle everything that happened and not doing it so well no he's he's doing fine he's just doing it the white court way right and technically so, the last last scene is when harry seals andy's fate by bringing him butters oh yeah <laughs> um. <laughs> All right. 
Yeah. It's a great ending in so many other ways, but when you put it like that, I sort of hate it. <laughs> I mean, Butters is that. Don't join the dark side. Don't see it from EG's point of view. So Butters is magical Batman. Correct point of view. You have to live with it. So If he had stayed magical Batman, perfectly fine. Yeah, yeah. If his shtick was just like, oh, I'm going to be like, you know, use Bob in as stupid as it is. If he had just been like, oh, I'm going to use my inventive ways to make these little gadgets and stuff, fine. But once he became an asshole and then got a lightsaber, screw that noise. He became an asshole because he stands up to Harry just like everybody else? He, listen, you can stand up to Harry all you want. Harry is an idiot who deserves to be smacked in the mouth plenty. That particular instance was, um, well, we'll get into it when we go to skin game. <laughs> that particular yeah. instance was unnecessary. This episode is long enough. Or those episodes are going to be long enough. We will. Whew. Okay. Um, to talk about Thomas because it's going to directly relate to changes. Uh, he's deciding everyone is food, and he's talking like that. They're just everyone's food. All humans are food. And Harry says, "And what does Justine think about it?" And Thomas is still hurting over that. Right. Yeah. Justine thinks this conversation is over, and I've got to go do some brooding and pouting now. Thank you very much. And then Harry is just like, I'm going to zap the, the radios, and the, the brotherly tenderness is still there of, yeah, that was a funny prank. Yeah, the fist bump and the smirk. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah the best way to read that is just that Shag Nasty wasn't as much as a victor as he thought. Because immediately after this, even in changes, I guess it's even less of a reset button than I thought earlier today. That yep. Is, it's he not goes really, right back to being Thomas. He goes right back right. to being Thomas. Yeah, it's just with a lot without a lot of the uh, the baggage of his Tomas identity. So he doesn't yeah. have that anymore. You drop well, that. He, but he has some so. of the the baggage there. It's just he's now uh, it swung too far the other way. Right. Well, I yeah. mean, Thomas even says it in that book. I mean, if you had told me what the deal was, I would have been here sooner. Like. He's very clearly not just a distant asshole. He's right. He's ha he's ready to hat up and save his niece uh, in a right. second. Right. And some of that's a little disappointing, but I think we just haven't had all the opportunities to play that out, right? I think we're still going to get some of that in the early parts of of peace talks, or at least hinted at, mm -hmm. because you know you see some of it in in Ghost Story, right? That right. Thomas is still dealing with this in, I mean, White Court ways but you know it's still being dealt with and he just sure. comes across as like a complete hollowed out shell here but yeah he, he does in changes he almost does go back to just being the thomas that we know until we don't get to see him brooding as much in changes because there's too much to worry about but the, when he goes how he is in cold days that's thomas of old hmm. he's balanced he has justine he's still a vampire he accepts all of this and he's handling it as one whole person Sure. I mean, I, I didn't really see much difference from him and changes. He was joking and talking about who yeah. he was going to be. We don't get to see him brooding he was, his fate. There was there was that one scene in Cold... Well, we're going to get to the one scene in Ghost Story, right? Where Harry pokes in on what Thomas is doing and, you know, uh, Justine kisses another lady. Yeah, and Harry's like, yeah, he'll be fine. He's good. Well, that's... I mean, that's another thing. I mean, right there at the... So you got... He immediately hats up and changes. Ghost story, he's in a complete depression mode about his brother dying. Like, he's not a hard-ass, uh, you know, shell of a vampire that's just, like, giving up on life. Right. Yeah, it is a bit, yeah. Damaged yeah. a little bit right now. So, this is just another function of 
Harry just wandering around and whoever he touches in his life gets a little bit better, a little bit more healed, except those who aren't like burned to cinders or killed. Yeah, except those but, who die violent, terrible deaths. Or your life is just a little bit better, or you're kidnapped by the Fae. Uh, anyone to die a violent death later on. To die a violent death later. And then okay. the uh, the gaming scene. Last nice. scene of yeah, that's okay. D and D, cool. Great. Uh, I believe it was Arcanos. Yes. Arcanos. Oh, whatever. They're all D and D. Brought to you by Evil Hat Games. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Evil Hat Games. And oh, and then I, I really don't think it is. No, it isn't. It isn't. And that's it. I mean, if they gave us money, it would be. <laughs> but they didn't. <laughs> it was $12,000 each. I'm spending my $12,000 on. That's not right, man. We gave them money that one time. Just kidding. So. Yeah. I, I mean, probably a little bit. I bought the game. Does that count? It's not at second hand, though. I guess it doesn't count. Seriously, Ben. Seriously, man. <laughs> well, uh, Dresden Files podcast, I guess. Is that. Uh, the yes, end? we avoided a part three. I'm very. Hooray! Dresden Files podcast. Parts. <laughs> We could have easily made this three parts, but we've only made it two by really? a super long episode. Yeah. Hooray. Two extra length episodes for your enjoyment of the Dresden Files podcast. Thank you for listening in. This has been a wonderful presentation of the Broken Jars Network. Listen to our other productions, including the Moribund uh, High Fantasy, which is about being moribund. But listen to the stuff in the archives. It's still uh, a wonderful listen. We have Sim Talk, which is uh, a very serious and professional podcast about professional simulations, bringing in guests from all over the industry of industrial simulations. We also have uh, Office something. Great Scott, about the office. Office something. <laughs> I was going to say office space, but I was like, Great Scott, um, which is a podcast about the office, which is also almost over, only because there's only so many episodes of the office to look at and so many. Why they need to change The Simpsons. Oh, they I was going to say, wait a minute, it's not over. Then, you know, The Simpsons, it's just going to be an infinite podcast. They'll He'll retire the age of 80. Well, okay, I guess it's possible. Uh, and then that's pretty We much. have to bring in that sweet, sweet evil hat money. <laughs> <laughs> the Dresden Files Podcast, a board game brought to you by Evil Hat Productions. Get our official merch. Uh, do we have merch? Yes, we'll sell them whatever they want. Hey. To uh, uh, I've got a 